0: Welcome to the Betterism Podcast, a learning community seeking out life's unusual lessons from its unlikely places. I'm your host, Glenn Binger, author, teacher, and coach, and I'm here to help spark some collective growth. I hope you'll stick around and teach us a thing or two, but first, a few words from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Meadolife. Meadolife is a health and wellness brand. Um, they feature all kinds of health and wellness products. They focus mostly on supplements. They have everything from vitamin E, vitamin C, NADs, vitamin K. Personally, I'm a huge fan of their shilajit tablets. I put some in my coffee every morning to help me think a little more clearly, process things smoothly, that sort of thing. Um, but again, they, they kind of focus on all across all health and wellness products. Um, Their goal is to be innovative and effective, trying to help people become less stressed, uh, more energized, and live happier lives. Um, I do also recommend checking out their podcast, Life Radio. The host and owner, Matt Blackburn, does a really great job in educating listeners and and his audience about what supplements are right for them. Um, You can find them online at MitoLife.co. That's M-I-T-O-L-I-F e.co and if you use promo code betterism you can get 15% off all of their products and there's no restrictions there Um, again that's Metalife.co promo code betterism for 15% off please go check them out they do a really great job in educating and sharing the knowledge and I think that is a lost art this day and age meatallife.co check them out Alrighty, righty friends welcome to the betterism podcast you know me i'm your host glenn uh we have another local friend local pal from new jersey today poet elise versella elise welcome to the show
1: hi thanks for having me
0: of course um so i figured we would start with your your brand new book i think it dropped what two weeks ago three weeks ago um
1: oh months we're in uh february it dropped february
0: 27th okay so i'm a little behind it feels like two
1: weeks
0: (laughs) i'm saying it's new because i know i just snagged a copy and and read through it and it was um but i figured we would start there because i know it's not your only project Uh, you and i had linked up prior to covid very briefly we did a reading together i think in asbury park at the bookshop. Um, but I want to start off with your with your new book. Where, where did this come from? Where can listeners check it out? What's it called? What's the background story behind?
1: It? So it's called When Wolves Become Birds. You could find it at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, your local bookstores. You can order it from there, support local. Uh, you can find it on my website if you want a signed copy. Um, yeah, and it came about. It was like a six years in the making type of project. Oh, wow. I was going, yeah, I was going through some stuff. And it was basically, um, (laughs) most of the poems in the book is just that feeling of not being at home in your own body anymore. And the poems were about me kind of like reclaiming my wings, so to speak. And uh, reminding myself that, you know, I'm not stuck here in this, you know, human meat package and <laughs> still, you know, there's just so much out there, uh, so much opportunity, so much life left to be living. So,
0: I love that. <clears throat> that adds more layers too. I like the way you described it, you know, get, getting your wings back, that adds so many more layers yeah. to the, the title, but also, I mean, the collection as a whole, I didn't realize it took you that long to, um, I guess, make it to 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 write it is some of that material like things you were like testing at at readings and speaking events prior or is this like all strictly just written work
1: no so I feel like the first half of the book was definitely like 2015 2016 2017 Um, I was dealing with a a lot of grief after my grandpa had passed and then a lot of Mm -hmm. grief personally I've just like think like relationships ending careers ending so there's a lot of grieving especially in the first half of the book and then like I think probably 2018-2019 the rest of the poems in the book came together and I was definitely testing them at open mics um, and in I have a poetry group that meets monthly so I was testing it out there i'm um, really formulating an actual manuscript with you know, not that poetry has to be read from beginning to end, but there's definitely like an arc to the yeah. Burns.
0: Yeah, very much. I, you know, I, i personally, and this is just my opinion, but I find uh, poetry collections that are structured that way to be more fulfilling. Um, not that there's anything wrong with, you know, just kind of throwing random poems together. But to me, I feel like as a, as a collection, you know your book really spoke to me on that level because I could I could see that arc now I don't know if that's because I'm also a writer you know I teach English <laughs> like I don't know if that's that's my lens but I could definitely feel that um, that transition from wolves to birds <laughs> if that oh, makes sense thank you. it was it was a very um, very touching read um, and it, was this your first collection or do you have works prior to this?
1: So technically, this is my fourth collection, but this is the first collection published by an actual um, independent press that I'm very grateful to be a part of now.
0: Yeah. uh, Golden Dragonfly. Did I say that right?
1: Correct. Yes. Golden Dragonfly Press. So grateful to be a part of, you know, that ever expanding list of authors.
0: Yeah. I, you know, I only heard of them after I purchased your book and then I started looking at their, their previous titles. Their lineup was pretty, pretty solid. (laughs) What was it like working with a, what was it like working with a publisher as opposed to like doing the, the self printing stuff? Is there differences in that? What did you experience?
1: So it felt like, it felt like a little sisterhood, like a little, it's like a little family. She's a one woman show right now. And I just feel like, you know, she's so supportive and so behind my work. And it just felt really nice to have a support system. And when we were working on, you know, the layout and everything, it just felt really nice to have someone in your corner. And she puts together all the graphics for the marketing. And it just, Mm -hmm. I don't know, someone, someone else to celebrate with and get excited about the release with. Um, which I didn't really have with the self published titles. Yeah, I read right. you know, with my own family and friends, but it was kind of nice to have like an actual person but in your corner behind you, like helping you birth this baby essentially. Right. <laughs> right. Like a midwife. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. I mean, essentially that's what especially um, you know the small presses the independent presses which by the way listeners please support your local small press um because that money goes back into into the the community not into jeff bezos rocket pocket
1: yeah
0: <laughs> you know dick rocket yeah i don't i don't even know what the hell that was um That's but anyway, a whole
1: different podcast <laughs> yeah
0: we can we'll do a part two for that one <laughs> um so let me ask you has has poetry always been an outlet for you or do you have other creative um, outlets as well? And poetry just tends to be the main one.
1: Poetry is definitely the main outlet I find. I found my strength, my voice, my confidence with it. Um, but there is the moment in time where you experience some writer's block, and I do take to painting to kind of relieve that. It's a different mm. kind of meditation almost.
0: Yeah. All art is therapeutic you know, and, and this is kind of why I asked because I know like when I hit writer's block, I need to do anything else besides look at the screen, right? Like yes. <laughs> so, sometimes it's just simple. It's just like, all right, I'm going to go for a bike ride. You know, other times oh, it's like, you. okay, I'm going to pick up the paintbrush or, you know, or I'll do one of these house chores that have been staring me at the face, you know, the past couple of weeks, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, that's cool. So what kind of, what kind of painting do you do? Uh, do you have like, is it kind of just like, Freestyle, you know, you use oils, acrylics, wash. I mean, do you have a specific thing or is it more of just a meditation for you?
1: It's definitely a meditation for me. I don't have a specific medium. I really love oil painting because I think it blends so nicely, but the cleanup is atrocious with the kind and I can't just the dry time as well. Like I'm not a patient person. So waiting (laughs) for oil paint to dry. Yeah, it's, but it it comes out so nicely in the end, and I think it's like a a test in patience. So, anything mm. that helps me learn patience, I think, is a a necessary thing.
0: Yeah, would you say that uh, poetry is the has an equivalent, or it like kind of teaches you that realm of of patience in any way?
1: I don't think necessarily patience. I think. For me, every time I'm writing a poem, I think something else is moving through me, or I'm trying to move through something. Interesting. Um, so, yeah, the poetry is definitely more so like a catharsis, whereas the painting is like, definitely teaching me patience, definitely teaching me not to be like, s- such a perfectionist also. Because There have mm. been moments... <laughs> or yeah. you just like no i'm just gonna fix that a little bit a little bit more and then you've ruined the entire canvas and have to
0: start over <laughs> <laughs> yeah i, I know how that goes. I, I can't say my mother was an oil painter uh, she still is i should say but um you know growing up i can't tell you how many times she'd get frustrated at the canvas and have to like you know yeah. scrape all the stuff off and start over <laughs> um, it's
1: like horrendous
0: <laughs> yeah right Do you find any layovers between the two? I mean, art, you know, all art has creative crossovers, but do you find any specifics between painting and poetry?
1: I think a lot of times the painting can influence the poetry and vice versa, like whatever. Mm. I feel a lot of like when wolves become birds was very animalistic, very nature-based. So I think most of my paintings, if you could see my space right now, it's just a bunch of, winged creatures and like (laughs) wolves and foxes so it's very much like a theme in my life
0: (laughs) right right and it's funny too because those kinds of like little those themes can follow you right like i for example i don't want to make this about me but i this poetry book that i'm working on is kind of like a couple to the this novel thing that i'm trying to drop and the theme within the poetry book is very much experimental but also um I've been calling it glitch poetry because it, it's, I'm trying to like combine, you know, like programming, coding, but like as an art form, like with poetry. And oh, what awesome. what I'm, thank you. What I'm noticing is that that crosses over into like what, you know, when I'm finding some other art form, when I have writer's block and I'm sitting down and like doodling in my sketchbook or something, you know, the theme of that like glitch or, or like, almost like vaporwave kind of like follows into my doodles, which I don't know if it's subconscious or if it's, you know, the universe just kind of saying, okay, right. This is your theme for the moment for the next couple of weeks, you know? <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you find that happening to you at all when you cross over? I mean, you kind of mentioned between the, um, the painting and the poetry, but like, what about like life in general? Do you notice yourself being more attracted to nature because of this
1: I think so absolutely I've been on a kick for a few years now where I'm just incredibly interested in all different types of birds of prey Um, there's one vulture that I came across that I can't remember the specific like scientific name of the vulture right now but it basically eats it ingests bones that's its primary source of like sustenance it takes these carcasses drops it from like a very high height breaks it up into small pieces and that's what it eats it eats bones and at the time I was working at a chiropractor so bones were very predominant in my daily life (laughs) so I felt like it all was just coming full circle like I'm painting rib cages with like flowers bursting forth from them <laughs> I'm working at a chiropractor I'm looking at this you know predatory creature that ingests bones for its meals and it all just became very like synchronistic
0: isn't that strange too like how like <laughs> life just does that to you you know like you don't really if you're not paying attention you wouldn't notice it but like I, I feel like as a poet you you know I, I know I speak for myself as a poet I notice the smallest little things but yeah. it's strange when those things kind of line up right like your your yeah. professional day job life and then your creative life and you're like huh that's a weird coincidence it's almost like it wasn't a coincidence <laughs> yeah
1: um, it's kind of like you're meant to be on this path like because everything's just you know encircled you
0: yeah right i mean those those kinds of elements those themes they do spiral back and sometimes it's years sometimes it's weeks sometimes it's hours it's it's very strange and i i find that it influences my writing um, when i do notice it that being said you know i'm only human so i don't notice it every single time but where do you where do you gather that inspiration from do you try to hone in on that those circle backs or do you kind of just inspiration hits you and you just need to you just use it
1: yeah, sometimes I'm definitely trying to hone in on something. If, you know, especially for me, I think poetry makes the the mess, like the tangled wires in your brain, like straighten out. Um, but I feel, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> I feel right. that, right? Because <laughs> I just feel like, yeah, inspiration does strike me. Like I could be reading a line in a book, and this happened recently. I was reading Olivia Lang's Funny Weather, mm-hmm. and it was basically it's art in an emergency. So she had an essay on um, refugees stitching closed their lips in protest, and that line hit me so viscerally that I just started like i had to stop reading and i started writing and i came i don't even write in form often but i wrote this sestina based on this essay of hers and so i think sometimes inspiration just hits you when you're going through life you know not really looking for anything but other times i do want to make sense of the mess that's inside my body so i do you know, actually try to hone in on something. Mm -hmm. I think going back to patience and like the art teaching me patience, I think maybe in a sense, the poetry is teaching me to be present.
0: I like that. That makes sense too, you know, because when you, when you do, when you do notice those subtle inspirations that hit you kind of off guard, it's almost like you can't help but present yourself and like i i need to find a pen and paper and i need to jot down this thought or i gotta whip out my phone you know make a note it's it's one of those things it's like if you if you hone that skill you can kind of like figure out a system for yourself to like to like manage that inspiration when it does hit and then other times it's like impossible like you know there'll be times where like I'm in the ocean and you know, something just hits me the way this, the way the sun is like off the wave or whatever. And I'm like, Oh man, that would be really cool to write down. But like, I have, I'm literally in the ocean. Like I can't write it down, you know? (laughs) So I guess where I'm going with this is like, do you, how, do you have a system for managing that? Or are you just completely, you know, off the cusp, fly by the seat of your pants? Like when it hits, it hits, I'm ready. (laughs)
1: I think I'm definitely chained to a muse. I know some writers are very diligent. They get up at a certain time. They write for a certain amount of time. Mm-hmm. I am not that writer. <laughs> I've tried to be that writer, but I am not. I, yeah, I'm just chained to the muse. Whenever she hits, she hits. And then, you know, I just stop what I'm doing.
0: That's good, though. I, I feel like. People need yeah, to understand that, like, not having a system is also okay. Because I feel like so often we're drilled, especially in the podcast realm, we're so drilled with, like, you know, you have to have a system for this. And, it, you know, A, B, C, and D is the formula. And you got to follow the formula. And, like, while that's all good and well, and there's nothing wrong with that, there are also people that work better without systems, you know?
1: Yeah, it could be a little, like, constraining.
0: Yeah, right. And especially with something it's- like art you don't want to limit yourself you know like yes there's the editing process where you're trying to you know you're you're formulating to the business you're trying to make something that's going to be published and hopefully make some money if that but you know ultimately when it comes down to it that's not really why the artist makes the art you know the the art is coming from like inside of you I think you said it before it's like you have this this thing is like in your body and it just needs to come out it needs to find shape or form somehow whether that's on a canvas or in a poem you know
1: yeah 100 percent. i feel like and my best lines i feel and like other people have pointed out like what their favorite lines are in certain poems and i do remember like those are the poems those are the lines that i didn't think too hard about i didn't set out to like write a poem about this it just like it was like a possession. I feel like those poems are like possession and like something else is taking control and those turn mm. out to be like the best poems. So I really do feel, you know, like when inspiration strikes, you just let it move through you.
0: Yeah, like connecting connecting back to source yes. as the spiritual yes, guides would say. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's your... So what's your like, I want to switch gears a little bit. What's your physical process? Like, do you write on your phone? Do you have a laptop? Do you have a notebook, paper, sketchpad? How do you when you're when you're trying to take it from idea and concept to actual poem? Do you have a system there?
1: Yes, I do have a system. It usually starts out with a few sentences on like a post-it note or scratched onto like a notebook uh, paper, but then it, it does always fully come together like in a word document hundred percent
0: mm. Would you say that changes uh, depending on the project like if you're if you're writing one poem versus a collection like a manuscript, how do you manage that difference?
1: Oh, well, I think. Now, I think if I'm trying to put together a manuscript at that point, it's taking stock of what word documents I have that kind of connect. Like, I feel like I just start writing poems, I gather a whole bunch of them, and then they all kind of start to form their own theme. And then some, like a manuscript, slowly starts to form itself.
0: Mm. How long have you been writing? Has it has it been one of those art forms you've just always done your entire life, or is it something you kind of picked up?
1: I definitely feel like I've been doing it my whole life. I started. I always kept like a diary, like when you were a little kid and you started writing in a diary. Yeah, yeah. But like, I started writing poetry. I believe I was like eleven or twelve. Like the sixth grade. And then I didn't really start taking it seriously until I believe it was my sophomore year of high school because I did a creative writing class. My creative writing teacher changed my whole life, honestly. She Same. saw something. <laughs> yes, she saw something in me and she's like, You should really, you know, like pursue this. I'm like, oh, okay.
0: Yeah, right. It's almost like you need a kick for, you need like a push from somebody to actually get you past that like imposter syndrome. Right. Like, right. Oh, I still feel oh, it I, so I, much
1: I, though.
0: Oh, me too. And I think all true like, artists always experience away? it. Right. <laughs> you know, there's no avoiding that, but it's almost like every once in a while you need, you need someone to give you that push to like, you know, validate like, Oh, I am good at this. I I'm not, <laughs> I'm not faking it till I make yeah. it. Like I'm, I'm actually good at this. Um, and that's not to say that from the stance of ego. It's more of like um, trying to recognize like what the reality is in in other people's perspectives, not just your own. H- how do you how do you cope with that? With with those those periods or sessions of imposter syndrome, is it one of those things where you like you put down the pen and go do something else, or do you kind of just push through it?
1: I think lately I've just been pushing through it I think you really again it's about like being present too because I think we spend so much time trying to get to like the next thing and the next thing and I want to accomplish this next and you really have to sit there and just take stock of what you have accomplished and how far you've actually come and when I start to feel like imposter syndrome I just take a moment to look back and consider wow, I've really accomplished so much since I first set out. And, and it kind of makes it a little bit less like an imposter feeling and more of like, no, I am a poet. You know, this is 100% like you are a poet. And you just mm-hmm. have to, you know, you're just, you're still learning. There are still goals that you've set out to achieve. But, you know, like you're doing it. So it makes the imposter syndrome fade into the background a little bit when you just sit there and take stock of how far you've actually come.
0: Yeah, like owning the identity kind of gets you past that. I feel that. I can definitely, you know, and and to bring it back, I mean that that sense of poetry uh, centering you in the present does kind of help with that. Like I know. When I'm feeling imposter syndrome, like I, I, I'm the same way. Like I just kind of push through it, and I'll scribble some like six pages of garbage that like will never see the light of day. But maybe you know one seed line will come from it in a later poem that I write. And to Yay. me, that's like the win, right? Like it's it sucks that I wasted all that time like <laughs> scribbling the six pages of nonsense, but I got one stellar line that made it into the manuscript. You know that resonates with other people, yeah. Um, And it all stems from that, like that ownership. You know, owning that identity.
1: Exactly. Uh, There have just so many times been like that one line or that one stance, and you hold on to it for like months and months, and it finally Mm -hmm. like ends up being something, and it's such a moment of pride.
0: (laughs) Yeah, right. I feel like the the, you know that's one of the, um, I guess looked over or glossed over skills of being a poet is like reworking a concept into a line that isn't boring right like anyone can write you know for the newspaper I I think they say you know you're supposed to write it like a sixth or seventh grade level when you're writing for like you know journalism stuff which not I'm not knocking it it's a different style of writing (laughs) but with with poetry you know it's not just what you're saying it's how you're saying it right? And Absolutely. it takes a lot of effort to, to, to like take this idea, this concept that might be totally abstract, that has no physical, you know, limitations or bounds to tie it down and then apply it using some form of language, whether that's, you know, um, body language or, or written language. Um, how do you cope with that struggle? How do you, you know, when you're working this idea and you're trying to get this line perfect, Do you have a system for that? Which I kind of, I guess, being that you don't have the system, otherwise, the answer is probably gonna be no. But I want I want you to to express how you kind of get past that. How do you tackle that? Trying to manage that one line to really come through because the poem just won't work unless that line is is fit. (laughs) How do you how do you manage that?
1: Uh, some te- so I am super thankful to the poetry group that I have been a part of now for a few years because their critiques really do help when I have like that one line that maybe just isn't working but you loved it so much and just learning how to maybe whittle things down because I could be a bit lengthy in my poems.
0: Mm. so.
1: I think having like a safe group of people that you trust to critique things kind of helps. You know, I feel like poems can be like puzzles. So you have that one line or that one stanza that's kind of like your your jumping off point. You get something together, you know, months later, and you have like a group of trusted individuals critique it, and it. It really just becomes something so much more fine-tuned and really so much better, I think. I feel like my poems have definitely gotten better because of that group. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think there. there's also a big, like, learning how to let things go. Yeah. Like, they there's definitely thin lines that I've loved so much but like they just don't work and you have to cut them and you have to let them go and sometimes I mean I had one poem you know the group said this is more like two poems you should you know separate them and make them two individual poems Mm -hmm. so in that sense you're not really losing anything in that sense you're gaining two poems instead of one yeah yeah, How do I you?
0: Think... Yeah, go ahead. go ahead. Well, I was just going to follow up on that. But if you had more to say, because you might answer my question.
1: Oh, no, that's pretty much it. I think crit- having a trusted group to critique you uh, really, really helps, you know, the, the puzzle that is a poem. And when you have individual lines that you really love, but you don't know where to fit them. Right. You know, just, Having another group, it kind of it aids you in
0: that. So there's there's two points that I want to dig into a little bit here. Um, first one, which might be might sound easy, but probably not easy to answer. Um, how do you how do you deal with letting one of those lines go? Like for me, for me, if I'm if I'm editing a poem and a line doesn't work, but I really like the line, I have a a seed document in my Google Drive where like it's just a bullet point list of like lines that were really well written, but like, didn't fit in the poem. And I kind of like, I throw them there in case I want to use them later for something else. Like if they work in another poem, right? So I'm like, I'm like, I'm letting it go. But at the same time, I'm not letting it go. You know, (laughs) how do you deal with that? How do you do you like, just totally erase it? Like, let it escape or, or what?
1: I think it's a little bit of both. I think if there are individual lines that I really love, that didn't work in a particular poem I might I do the same thing I do have like a a note section of my phone or you know just like on the laptop just like untitled unfinished things just Mm -hmm. sitting there waiting for inspiration to strike yeah but then there have also been times where I've just completely trashed it I think I've always been the type of person that just kind of does let things go like i trash a lot of things i don't keep a lot of like tchotchkes or you know lots of things are just discarded yeah. every couple years right but right i feel like I, I have to be that same way with poems too like some poems just don't work yeah and yeah i've just just deleted the file the files have been deleted they're in <laughs> the either of wherever deleted files go right
0: you let out, you know, you hit the delete button. You let out that long sigh, like,
1: ah, yeah, okay. <laughs> like, all right. Because I do know, like, when wolves become birds, existed in multiple iterations before it became when wolves become birds. And right. there were a few poems that like didn't make the cut, and I had kept them for the longest time. And I did just finally like delete them, and like they're not going to be used again in any other form it's just <laughs> right it's just like you said those six pages for like that one strong piece or that one strong line like it is like an exercise I think
0: yeah and I think that's that is very much a skill that any aspiring writer should learn to practice because it's not easy to to like let things go like that especially if, like for me I have there's definitely hoarders in my family, you know? So like, <laughs> just, just knowing that about myself, it's like, I also apply that to my writing, right? Like I, I like I, it's in my blood. So I'm very careful. Same thing. I, every couple of years I'll, I'll do a garage purge and I'll throw out stuff that I'm not using, you know?
1: Yep.
0: Um, But that also applies to my art as well. Like I I need to do that and, and learn how to be, I'm not good at it. I'm, I'm trying to learn how to be better. And like, not paste as many things into that seed document that I have. Yeah. <laughs> right. But it is something that I'm aware of and I'm learning to try to get better at it. But I think that's something that aspiring writers, poets of any kind, no matter what genre you're in, you you kind of have to learn how to do that um, both individually and with a, you know, with a group, with a community. And this is kind of, I want to bring this back to that second point. Um, the writing group that you have how and where and when did you join but also find and understand how valuable it is is that something that came from schooling or is that something you kind of discovered later on
1: no i definitely discovered it later on i it was so funny how i came across this group too the barnegat library had like a a poetry contest so I would written a poem for the contest and the, you know, library, the librarian had said, oh, we have a poetry group that meets once a month. Here's the information. And so I dropped in on one of their monthly meetings and I thought this is such a nice group of individuals and, you know, they're all like retirees. This is what they do for fun and they're really talented they're really good at it some of them also have books out so this is like my schooling essentially because I didn't go and you know go to college and pursue this right so any kind of outside learning experience I could get my hands on I grabbed um, of course and and yeah it's been I think like four or five years now that we've been meeting And it's become a little family. And I really, once I started getting poems published in journals, and I mean, these were poems that this group had critiqued and that I had, you know, gotten over, I guess, you know, because we all have a little bit of an ego and you don't want to let things go. Right. But when I did edit these pieces and saw them published, I was like, this is really important to have a group Of people whose opinions you trust yeah you know because that's another thing like there are always going to be people who maybe don't like the piece but it's got to be up to you like do you care if that person doesn't like the piece like whose opinion do you actually care about um and I found this group of people who are just so like they really want to see something be the best it can be Mm -hmm.
0: I mean, at that point, too, they become friends because you're you're so close and you're on that intimate level where, you know, they might not like your piece, but they'll they'll give you the criticism because they care about you and they want the piece to be as best as you want it to be. You know, right, um, absolutely. I, this this has been a this is, comes up a lot when I have guests on the show who are writers, poets, um, they talk about the value of of that writing group. Uh, whether it's a large one or a small one or a local one or a digital one they always it always comes back to like how how valuable that feedback is from an authentic human being right like anyone who can you know write a review yeah. on Amazon but that's not really the feedback when you're at least when you're workshopping something it's not really the feedback you're looking for you know no. um, I feel like I was you know I, part of my schooling comes from, Um, creative writing classes and in writing classes so like I kind of grew up in that environment kind of already I already knew that there was value in that you know it's a little weird (laughs) you know when you're like 20 and you're workshopping a a poem in a class where one person's writing a you know a rom-com and somebody else is writing like (laughs) the science fiction thing that's a that's a little tough right because that's that's more of academia but I think the value really comes from like choosing that group and like really being careful about who you surround yourself with because not only are you going to become friends with those people and you know get the criticism and the feedback that's going to improve pieces but it's also going to affect your your future writing your future art um and your your just general aura right like if you hang out with like negative people all the time you're gonna be negative you don't you want to be careful about that so i guess where i'm going with this Elise is (laughs) i want to know like how do you how did you know that these were your people? How did you know in your heart, like, yes, these, these people, they get it. They understand my work, even if they don't like it, they're giving me value feedback. Like, did you have a criteria or did it just kind of like hit you? Like, Oh, these are the right people.
1: (laughs) I think it just hits me because it's, it really is like how you feel when you, I think for me, anyone I hang out with, it's like, how do I feel? when I leave their company, you know, and I, I consistently kept leaving these poetry groups, feeling very uplifted, very much like my soul was lit alive again, you know, because when you're working a day job, and you know, it's very like, the doldrums of a day job, you know, and then Mm -hmm. you meet in the middle of the week, you know, and it's just your spirits just boosted again. And these people enjoy poetry and it just felt you finally feel seen because i think as you know aside from the poetry community itself outside of that there aren't too many people in my life who are so you know gung ho about poetry like i am <laughs> or right. literature in general so the more people that i can find who really enjoy it it yeah you leave the group, you go home at night and you just feel really like hyped up. I, yeah, I judge things based on like, how do I feel when I get back home? If I can't like fall asleep, I'm hyped up. That was a good group of people.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's important to pay attention to those, like, um, I guess the second wave emotions, like when you're no longer with the people who are directly affecting your energies, like, how do you feel when they're gone right like if you feel drained that's probably not a good thing versus like you're saying you know if you're so, still hyped up and inspired that's that's a little bit better um and that's another skill set i mean you have to like learn how to choose those those people because um, if you i don't want to like make it sound bad but like if you choose the wrong group of people you know that could hinder your progress whether it's with art or not you know It's
1: true. It's very true. And those people that hinder your progress or like drain you or make you feel exhausted after you hang out with them, those could be, you know, those could be family, those could be friends that you've had for Mm -hmm. quite some time. And that's, you know, that's another grief that I think is not talked about that I think I was dealing a lot with in the making of When Wolves Become Burns. It's like, i think we become contented in certain relationships yeah so you kind of overlook that you no longer feel hyped up and inspired in their company so that could it that it is a skill you do have to learn how to um figure out which vibes are really you know good for you or detrimental
0: mm-hmm. and you know you have to know yourself too you got to be honest with yourself um it's, it's the same thing. Like I know, um, artistically, creatively, I'm always inspired after a conversation who with somebody who is also creatively and artistically inspired, right? Like if, if I'm like right now, I'm talking to you about like poetry, right. And writing. And right now, like in my, in my brain, I'm trying to play podcast hosts, you know, but at the same time, it's like, (laughs) I know when we get off this call, I'm going to go sit in my backyard with my notebook just because I have all of these, Wild ideas flying around in my head, and again, it might just turn into like the six-page of scribble garbage, you know. But to me, that's a sign of of that, like what you're saying, that those energies that kind of circulate, right? Like, if you pay attention to the signals, you kind of uh, both during and after, you kind of learn how to how to manage that in the moment, and it comes back to that, like that presence, that sense of of now. How do cool. you how do you determine those gut instincts? Is it something that you think you know, or is it something that you just, you kind of just wing it?
1: I think you kind of have to just wing it. I think, I think that's also part of the meditative um, aspect of poetry, because I find like, and even if you're just journaling, maybe there's six pages, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you you really can't lie to yourself in a in a poem i right. feel like and yeah so those gut instincts maybe in my daily life i'm not paying attention to but again you start to feel like that jumbled mess in your head or your stomach and you're like what is this i have to i have to write it out like figure it out and overcome it and then the poem presents itself and it's almost like I don't know if anyone listening is into tarot but a tarot reading kind of just shows you what you've been avoiding the whole time
0: mm-hmm.
1: I think a poem does that for me I think that is the gut instinct and once the poem comes out it's like oh yeah that's what, you know, <laughs> now I the get universe it, right. has been telling me <laughs>
0: right this makes sense now yeah
1: I like this like. is what I've been trying to tell myself
0: yeah right right that makes total sense I mean writing is such a it's such a solitary thing like it's so like you have to immerse yourself in the solitude but it's strange because at the same time especially if you're writing something to be published you know you also have to think about like okay I'm, I'm doing this by myself right now but I'm really not. Cause I'm the, the, whole idea, the whole goal is to, like get other sets of eyes on your work to think about, you know, your reality and how you are expressing it. So it's like, it's solitary, but it's not, you know what I mean?
1: Right. Um, uh, yeah. I agree.
0: Do you do other forms of writing? I mean, I know like poetry is like your main thing, but like, even if you don't publish it, but like, do you have like a journaling practice or do you scribble fiction when you feel like it do you dabble in other genres?
1: so there there are a few um essays published on rebel society um and i definitely have been journaling for the better part of like five years i think after a pandemic or maybe even during it was a little bit hard to journal because essentially journaling is like reiterating your day-to-day in a Mm. in a book and during quarantine there wasn't a lot that I wanted to like (laughs) memorialize in ink (laughs) so so that's been a little hard I feel like my journaling practice has taken a huge like dump um but yeah we I dabbled a little bit in fiction there are some stories hanging out on my laptop waiting for me to pay attention to them (laughs) but you know, I just, I always just keep coming back to poetry.
0: Yeah. And if it's calling, I mean, you know, against the universe. You kind of want to listen to it, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I was mean, just I love fiction, but I don't think I'm ever going to be a fiction writer.
0: Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's kind of why I was asking, because a lot of times writers have, like, a specialty, but that doesn't mean they avoid all the other genres. They just don't, you know, focus on them as much. Like, I you know i'm i'm not a huge poetry writer i do love to write poetry but i would consider myself um fiction more so than poetry um yeah. you know i will i will consume a poetry book in one sitting <laughs> G- grab a yeah. coffee up here from turnstile you know my spot and sit in my backyard yeah. and just read the poetry book um that being said like i don't always find myself gravitating towards writing poetry like there will be times where i sit down and you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to journal, but like I just I want to tell like this story about some stupid aliens or something, you know, because that's <laughs> just what's in my brain. And I'm trying to right. like use that to get the, the the idea or like the overall arch of whatever it is I'm writing, you know, the love story or, or you know, uh, injustice, whatever it is, like whatever the theme is, I'm using this like crazy fiction thing to get that out instead of journaling about it. Um, and I, I don't, uh, now that I'm saying this out loud, it might be the universe thing we were just talking about where it kind of like, it's kind of pointing you in that direction. I don't know. Um, but I guess my question is, how do you know when that time is right? If you know it all.
1: Oh gosh, I don't think I ever know.
0: I think that's important to say. And we'll say it again, we don't know. <laughs> so yes. I feel like no one, no yes. one really knows. I think, yes. I don't know. Yes. I mean, what were you going to say? I don't, I don't want to cut you off. I don't want to make this about me. This is no, more about I'm just trying to like, like really York.
1: think about that question. I'm like, no, I don't think I ever know.
0: So I think, you know, there are plenty of times in life where, you know, you think other people are so sure of their decisions and their choices and like they're, they know exactly what they're doing and why they're doing it. But more often than not, just as much as you don't know, they don't know, you know?
1: Yeah. I feel like we all pretend to know. Yeah. Especially after this past year, I think, is it really, I feel like it's stressful to always have to know the answer. Yeah. Like we're putting to, I feel like I'm, i'm putting that much pressure on myself because we don't know what what lies ahead and your your journey can take you on many different paths and you know it's not a straight path it's meandering Mm -hmm. i don't know but i feel like i've just always followed the poetry and it's never led me astray
0: it's the path the presence like
1: that that is the path
0: (laughs) i think it's again and we can uh we'll we'll shift over we can transfer rapid questions but i think it's important to understand that, like you don't have to know and listeners i guess that's more for you but like it's okay to not know some people they know every single choice yeah. but it's okay like to not especially in western culture like we're so ingrained with like all right, what are you doing after high school? All right. What are you doing after college? All right. What do you, you have a job now? Are you going to buy, you going to buy a house? You're going to get married. It's like, you're, oh, you're expected I, to like, know these that. steps. Me too. And it's like, that's not, if you, if you really think about what we are as humans and our ability to think, possess consciousness, make decisions um, based on future goals or past events, you know, and then also at the same time, like our ability to be fully present if we, hone in on that you know I think it's yeah not knowing is more natural than knowing
1: absolutely I think yeah especially after this year I know I just keep harping on it but like I turned 30 in the middle of the pandemic and everything I thought I knew just unraveled but mm. the constant has always been the art and the poetry and yeah I will never regret any choice that i've made because i've followed the poetry so you know sometimes you know you think of like imposter syndrome or you think of like our western culture society expecting you to have achieved something by a certain age and i think that that's so wrong and backwards after everything we've gone through this past year Like this human experience should be more than that. And I think it's really just about art and connecting.
0: Yeah. Um, The, the, one of the things that I've been trying to, to change my, um, I guess the way I just, you know, behave and engage with society is trying to, and this is my huge takeaway from, from, you know, COVID and lockdown and pandemic and all that stuff, but trying to really um, see where I could serve others, even if it's the smallest thing is just like holding a door open for somebody. But in this, just, I get, this might be just who I am. I, I don't know, you know, I, I am a teacher and this could be just part of like ingrained into my subconscious, but like
1: right. it, the
0: big takeaway that I had was like, you just like, no one knows. Right. And like, we're all kind of going through this, Almost seemingly like pre-planned system of like like same thing like go to school, get married, buy a house, get a job, blah blah. blah. But yeah. like we like we were just saying like that's not it seems it feels so unnatural to follow that pattern, right? Whereas when you're kind of I don't want to say wandering aimlessly, but when you know you're when you're going through life and you you experience those opportunities to to service somebody else even if it's the smallest thing or if it's a large thing, like like writing a poetry book. You're, I mean, the, the whole goal with that is to like help and in, in, in guide other people into thinking and seeing things in a different light. Not necessarily changing their mind, but like entertaining them in a way of like, this is how I experience the human condition, right? right. Those moments are abundant. You see them everywhere. And again, they can be small or large. But what I've taken away is When you do engage in those moments, um, you you feel better. (laughs) You just come out of it like, oh, this is like, I feel like a good human, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's the feeling after like an open mic or a performance. It's after I've recited a piece. It's this moment of elation. And then when people tell you afterwards that like it spoke to them, it's that moment of human connection. And yeah, we do spend so much time on this like, this path of like the things we need to accomplish in life because society says so. And poetry is a snapshot of a moment and we exist moments. Like that's where we're doing our living.
0: Yeah. So, Trying to like paint yeah. a picture of the now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And just to be here now and yeah, an open mic listening to other people perform their pieces and connecting with everyone after a show. I mean, that's, God, that's what I live for.
0: Mm -hmm. Did you,
1: that's it right there.
0: Yeah. Right. Did you find yourself, uh, you know, obviously we couldn't do like readings and open mics and stuff during lockdown and pandemic life, but when you're, your first time back, I have yet to do one just to kind of preface this, but did, did you find yourself like being rusty? Like, did you have to like kind of gain your footing back or were you able to just like jump back on the bike and you were fine?
1: So it was a very weird thing for me because during like lockdown, I had done a lot of Zoom open mics, which was really great because you got to essentially do them in like other states, other countries that I never would have been able to attend right. in person. So I, I met whole bunch of new talented people um but I found myself really really nervous in front of a screen and then when I finally got back to in-person open mics I found myself really really nervous in front of people again (laughs) (laughs) so yeah it has been a it's been a little weird
0: yeah I'm um I'm I'm both anxious and also um, nervous for when I do take that leap again, read in front I of people. Think,
1: yeah, <laughs> I think you should take the leap though because it it's kind of like it's so cliche, but like riding a bicycle. It's like muscle memory. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Once you've been doing, I feel like once you've been doing it for long enough, yeah, you're you're. I don't know. My muscles have started to like just relax back into columns and now since the book's been out for a few months now I've just kind of made a home in each poem so I feel like I'm not nervous to recite them anymore
0: mm. oh it's like a musician right like a, a band yeah. an artist like once you do it enough you kind of it's that muscle memory like you're saying like you know you remember like oh this is the hook this is the part where like you yeah know, the fans <laughs> love it so you know it's the same kind of thing it's um it's weird. I, you know, I I used to run uh, Stories by the Sea several times. And I, we were actually, I was going to get you on the bill for right before COVID hit. Oh, and my then,
1: God, yeah.
0: And then, like, you know, I, this year it was kind of, like, iffy, wishy-washy. Like, can we do events? Can we not? Um, and just oh. with the book launch and stuff, I decided to wait until next year. But it's just, um, it's a little strange. Like, being absent from that um I want to say experience or emotion and then jumping back into it. And I, know you're totally, totally, totally right here. I should definitely just rip the bandit, jump back in. <laughs> but Yeah, it's,
1: yeah, it's like uh, jumping into a pool, you know, like I right. am the kind of person who wants to like walk in.
0: <laughs> yeah, but, but it's always it's
1: better just to jump.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. It's just cannonball into the deep end, you know.
1: Yeah. <sighs> it really, it's the reward afterwards.
0: I think Mm -hmm. and
1: like again connection is I mean what I'm always striving for when I go to these events like I want to connect with people um, like-minded people as well and it is you know you leave and like you're just elated and overjoyed and again like I said hyped up so it really is you know I missed that during lockdown so yeah, it's been scary to, like, get back into it. I'm still, like, a ball of nerves before they call my name.
0: Of course. But,
1: yeah, but it is it is nice, and I hope to see you back in front of a mic soon.
0: <laughs> well, we're definitely going to have to link up offline here um, at some point. I know we do. We're in Asbury a lot, so we'll yes. grab one of those open mics. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, this is I think this is a good spot to uh, we'll bring it full circle with the poetry as being present. Um, You want to switch over to the rapid fire questions?
1: Sure. Hit me with them rapid fire questions.
0: (laughs) So I say this every time and I'm sure (laughs) listeners are sick of me (laughs) saying this every time, but um, I call them rapid fire questions. Your answers don't have to be rapid. You can take as long (laughs) as you want to answer them. But um, you know, I, I, I kind of use this as a, as a gauge. So I try to give listeners a sense of like who the guest is, outside of their business and their work and the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, you're welcome to like revisit things from the conversation if you want to.
1: Okay.
0: So first one, I know you have some good answers for this one. Um, what are you currently reading?
1: Oh, what am I currently reading? So I'm rereading uh, The Little Prince, but I just finished reading Consumed by Arifa Akbar. Which was a beautiful memoir about her sister. Um, her sister had passed away from TB, which I guess in the UK before COVID hit had been experiencing like a resurgence. Mm-hmm. But it was just a beautiful memoir about the immigrant experience. Their Pakistani um, immigrated to the UK. It's got so much art woven into it. It was so poetic. It was beautiful. I highly recommend it.
0: Oh, that's good. I'm glad you. that's been on my radar. I haven't had a chance to sit down and read it, but I keep hearing good things. So I'm glad you confirmed yeah,
1: that. absolutely. <laughs> and like, again, just Olivia Lang is one of my favorite new authors at the moment. She had mm-hmm. The Lonely City came out, I think in like 2018. Um. Funny Weather, Art in an Emergency, which was super inspiring to me. And I think her latest book that I haven't read yet is called uh, Everybody. Um, She's just, she's a great essayist. I highly recommend her.
0: She's just an all around good writer. (laughs) There's so many little things. Every time I read her, I'm like, oh, that's a trick I can take away and try to use, you know?
1: Yeah, Uh, she's great.
0: Excellent. All right. Uh, second question. Uh, what's your favorite meal or dish to prepare and cook? It could be for yourself, for friends and family. Um, does not have to be fancy. I've had people on here who're like, yeah, I just like pizza. And then I, I've also had like pastry chefs on here who are like, oh, I make this crazy souffle thing. So basically, what's your, what's your favorite, your go-to, your dish?
1: Oh, my God. This is all right. So to... There are two parts to this. I've got a fancy dish that I make that I think I'm really good at making. It is a stuffed flank steak. But then my my go-to meal, it's amazing. It was a Pinterest win, guys. Pinterest win. I did not fail. It (laughs) came out great. Um, But my go-to meal is literally like a can of chickpeas. And I've started... I mean, I'm Italian, so I feel like I can say this about it. But I feel like it's the... (laughs) It's like the Guinea girls ramen, like <laughs> just a can of chickpeas. I and mean, you know, I like fancy it up with like garlic and oregano and whatnot. You know, yeah, that is my that's my go-to meal. Just a can of chickpeas.
0: <laughs> Very Mediterranean. I do yeah. love chickpeas are awesome. Between that and I mean, asked my wife, I I like. She'll catch me sometimes with, like, <laughs> I'll be, like, dipping <laughs> chips in hummus or whatever. But yeah, every once a in a while, I'll break meal. out the spoon, you know, and it's just, like, just hummus. <laughs> <laughs> it is good, though. It's I like that. I love how so you refer it to the skinny uh, yeah. Girls ramen.
1: <laughs> uh-huh. It really is. Yeah, I'm sticking with it.
0: <laughs> Excellent. I love the two-part answer there. That's very enlightening. It's
1: good. I got I to let the listeners know that we do... A- we can cook. We can get classy.
0: Right. But I mean, again, that's the whole purpose of that question, too, is to like, you know, <laughs> paint a picture of the person outside of their their brand or their image. I think it's it's important to recognize we're all human, you know? Yes. Lazy
1: and sophisticated.
0: Right. Exactly. You can be classy if you want to, but sometimes <laughs> eh, break out the spoon and the chickpeas, you know? Just,
1: yeah. 100%. <laughs>
0: All right, cool. Uh, So third question. Don't feel like you have to go profound with this, but you're welcome to if you want. Uh, What's one life lesson you want listeners to walk away with today? It could be from the conversation or it could be something you've just been thinking about lately.
1: Okay, I think I just keep going back to my senior quote and I had forgotten that I even quoted it. But it was basically from the movie Under the Tuscan Sun and there's a scene where one of the women are saying to you know live never lose your childish innocence like live life enthusiastically and things will come your way and I just Mm. keep returning to that lately.
0: Yeah. Don't lose your inner child. It's important, especially this day and age where they're just trying to beat it out of you the second you get out of college.
1: (laughs) Seriously the world is gonna keep trying to like again and I'm gonna refer to the book here But you're gonna feel beast-like, like like you're trapped in this werewolf body, you know, that's not yours, that, you know, you just keep fighting against society and what it tells you to be. And you got to remind yourself, like, you were born with wings. The sky is yours for the taking.
0: Mm, I love that. Don't lose your inner child. I will couple that with the quote from Step Brothers. Don't lose your dinosaur. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Binger over here is so profound. Here I am ruining Lisa's profoundness. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> it's, but it, see, that's the thing, though. It doesn't need to be profound. It just needs to, like, hit you right in the feel so that you don't forget it. And that you, you know, live yeah. your life on your terms. As long as And, and that's how anyone.
0: I... Right. And, you know, that's that's always been my my go-to do no harm but take no shit you know Uh, take care of yourself but also don't harm others and i think that's that's coming back to that what we were talking about earlier with like servicing other people that's ultimately it's a framework and the you know karma the the things you put out into the universe you're going to get back um and if you want positive things you have to put out positive things (laughs) yeah so interesting um thank you for coming on The show, at least I am so grateful for your time. Where can listeners find your work online? Where can they buy your book? Where can they connect with you on the socials? All that stuff.
1: So my website is eliseversella.com. It'll have all my most recent work, where to buy the book. Um, again, I know we hate Amazon, but it really helps me out if you buy from Amazon. You could also support your local bookstores. They do carry my book. Just ask them to order it. Um, Yeah, you could connect with me personally as well. I could get you a signed copy. Uh, But EliseVricella.com is the way to go. It's got all my socials listed and, you know, any upcoming
0: events. Excellent. All right, Elise. Um, We will connect offline. We'll have to get one of these. uh, We'll have to link up at one of these open mics coming up. Maybe at the Asbury Book Collective or something. Um, Thanks again. We'll talk soon.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Of course. You're always welcome. We'll get a part two for that, the whole rocket talk. We'll do BJ's yes. talk next time. <laughs>
1: I'm here for it.
0: <laughs> All right. Have a great rest of your day, okay?
1: You too. Take care.
0: Yep. Be well. Well, that's it, friends. Thanks for tuning in. I hope to swing through again. If you'd like to reach out, uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us online at medium.com betterism. Be better at whatever it is you're building. And remember, friends, stay learning.